Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 1 through 13, called The Royal Physician. You know, the essence of love is we bear one another's burdens and thus we fulfill the law of Christ. And we want to get people to Jesus' feet, amen? We want people to hear about the good news. We want them to experience the touch of the Lord. And these men, you know, got their hands dirty, so to speak. And sometimes if you get in the trenches with other people, you're going to get your hands dirty. And sometimes it's exhausting. It's hard to bear others' burdens. But this is what the Lord says is one aspect of our love. And so they dug the hole and they lowered him down. And Jesus saw their faith. Look at the middle of verse 2. Seeing their faith, an active faith, no doubt. And I think it's the faith of all of them, the four friends plus the man who's paralyzed. And you can feel it. Jesus saw their faith. That seems to be an acknowledgement that things are good. The man's at Jesus' feet. Jesus is doing all kinds of healings left and right. So here it comes, right? He's about to say it. Get up and walk. We're going to see a miracle. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says to him, take courage, be of good cheer, other renderings have it. My son, I don't know if he calls anybody else my son in the New Testament. Take courage, my son, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? Obviously the man has come because he's in a stretcher, because he's paralyzed, But there is a paralysis much more significant in all of our lives, and it is the issue of sin. Oftentimes when I address a group of people like at a memorial service, I'll try to explain why we die. The Bible says the reason we die is because of sin. The wages of our sin is what? Death. The soul that sins shall surely die. We live in a world under the curse of sin. Death is, is the result. And so everybody walking around, I don't care who they are, has the same issue, the SIN virus, 100% deadly, 100% of the time. And your greatest need will be to have your sin forgiven. You know, those who are psychiatrists and psychologists say that what plagues mankind, what causes many people to be in emotional crises is a guilty conscience. And I've talked to many people over the years, and I've sensed this myself included, that when my sin was forgiven, I felt as if a weight had come off of my shoulders. Can you relate? As if I had risen to a new life, and that's indeed true, spiritually speaking. And many of Jesus's miracles, please hear this, were also parables. The miracle was physical, the parable peered into the spiritual realities. Each one of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're disabled by sin, and it's going to cause us to die. But we can be made alive. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. So we've got to trust in him. Take courage. Be of good cheer. My son, I want you to make this your own. My daughter. 
Your sins are forgiven. If you are in the new covenant and you know Jesus Christ, that's you. My son, my daughter, God might say to you, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. God is no longer counting your sins against you. Praise the Lord. That's a good time for a hallelujah right there. Do you know why? Because God charged your sin to his son. His son took the wrath of God at the cross for you and for me. And you are a forgiven person if you are in Christ Jesus. His righteousness has been credited to your account by faith. Praise the Lord. Be of good cheer. If nothing else this week, could you remind yourself this week? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. I'm a forgiven man. I cannot forget who I am in Christ. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. You are right in the sight of God because of the work of the Son. This is who you are. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you've been waiting to tell someone about this good news, start with that. I have some really good news. Your sin was Nailed with him at the cross. Trust him. Grab the life preserver. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. But you can feel some in the room saying, but, but okay, that, that's cool and all. But he's crippled. And you've been healing people left and right. Why just say to him your sins are forgiven? Because I think Jesus knew that deep in this man's soul, that was the real, more significant issue. Not that Jesus doesn't have compassion for our aches and pains and significant health issues. But Jesus saw the deeper issue. We all have that issue. And so he said, be of good cheer. Take courage. Don't be afraid, we might add. Your sins are forgiven. That is so significant, so beautiful, so wonderful. That can be a freeing thing for you today. If you've not met the Savior, call out to him. But how could Jesus proclaim forgiveness to this man? If you're a Jewish leader there, you're up in the northern part of Israel, and you might say, well, where's the sacrifice for his sin? We have a system for this kind of thing. You've got to make a sacrifice of an animal. Their blood has to be shed, and then you're forgiven until you blow it the next time, right? How could Jesus proclaim forgiveness? Where's the sacrifice? And by what authority could he proclaim such a thing? And remember, the disciples have been asking questions about what kind of man he is, that even the wind and the waves obey him, demonic spirits obey him. He has power over sickness, sin, uh, Satan, death. You name it, he has power over it. And how might one receive forgiveness in Christ? Even at that moment, if we were way back in that house, how could Jesus proclaim forgiveness? Because he saw, please hear me, the man's faith. Because salvation is by grace through faith. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Whether you're this side of the cross or this side of the cross, salvation comes by faith in Christ. 
So Jesus saw their faith, saw his faith, and proclaimed this forgiveness. And I believe that it was instantaneous. The moment Jesus says the word, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. That's the authority of Christ, amen? Just say the word, Lord. And you know, when you confess Jesus Christ, you heard the gospel and you said, Lord, please save me, forgiven. That's the end of the story because it's already been paid for. Paid in full. We couldn't spend enough time there, but we got to move on. But behold, some, there's always some in the crowd. (laughs) Some of the scribes, these are the Bible experts of the day, closely related to the Pharisees, said to themselves, notice, this fellow blasphemes. Jesus knowing or saw their thoughts, literally saw their thoughts and said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Can you imagine being one of the scribes or Pharisees and Jesus knows your thoughts? Why are you thinking evil? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean I wasn't thinking? <sighs> and you know, the Bible says that the only person who knows their own thoughts is that person. You are the only one that knows your own thoughts. Oh, however, there's someone else who knows your thoughts. God In fact, in Psalm 139, it says he knows a thought before you think it. Yeah, exactly how I feel. (laughs) It's really inconvenient at times, right? But think about it. This is another evidence of Jesus' divinity. How could Jesus know people's thoughts unless he's God? Some, Some might argue, well, he had the word of wisdom from the Holy Spirit and that We could go back and forth on that. But many times in in the the New Testament, we see Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what people were thinking. Mark puts it this way. If you're taking notes, Mark 2, 6 through 8. There were some of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Now, this shows that Jesus is divine, but he also confronts their wrong thinking. By the way, if he's guilty of blasphemy, according to the Old Testament, it's a capital offense and he should die on the spot. And there are several occasions in Jesus' earthly ministry where he says, I and the Father are one, and they want to take up stones to stone him And they want to stone him for blasphemy. And they have Old Testament precedent for this. But Jesus isn't blaspheming because Jesus is God. Once again, let me remind you, you cannot read the Gospels without coming to the conclusion that Jesus is God. He takes the divine prerogative left and right in these accounts. And so he confronts them. He says, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, five, your sins are forgiven, or to say, keyword say, rise and walk? Now, it would be relatively easy to say either one. I could say, rise up and walk, as easily as I could say, your sins are forgiven. If I said, okay, right now, all of your sins are forgiven, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, by what authority do you say that? And in addition to that, how might I measure that empirically? What evidence would I have to know that that was true? Can I see forgiveness of sins? Might, I might see an outward like relaxation. I, someone might say, I feel like burdens are off my shoulders, but there's no way to really measure that. 
but it's a lot harder to back up, rise up and walk. Amen. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk-In Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk-In Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. If I said, okay, right now all of your sins are forgiven, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, by what authority do you say that? And in addition to that, how might I measure that empirically? What evidence would I have to know that that was true? Can I see forgiveness of sins? Might, I might see an outward like relaxation. I, someone might say, I feel like burdens are off my shoulders, but there's no way to really measure that. But it's a lot harder to back up, rise up and walk. Amen. It's one thing to say something that we can't necessarily see, but in order that you may know that the son of man, that's the divine messianic title from Daniel 7, 13 and 14 that you may know, Jesus wants them to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. Now, Jesus is about to use the physical sign to back up his authority. If you want to know if what I just said is valid, if it's real, If it's authoritative, if I can actually proclaim what I just said, all right, you want to see it? He says to the paralytic, rise up and walk. And the other gospel accounts say immediately he rose up. Can you imagine? Maybe there were some cracking noises and things moving back into play. I don't know. You know, some of your backs make some crazy noises as it is, right? I don't know how things realigned, but joints got strengthened. And all of a sudden the guy popped up, took his bed and went home. And I think it's Mark or Luke that say the whole time he was going home, he was like this. Praise the Lord. Huh? Well, isn't that the guy that was parent? Praise the Lord. He's got a stretcher. In. Yeah. Woo. Off he goes to his home. Why? Why didn't Jesus tell him to go home? Because when you get right with the Lord and you get touched by the Lord, you're home. You're, you're where you belong. And here's something else practically. In that day, if you were the uh, family of a tax collector, a leper, a disabled person, as sad as it is, you would be considered an outcast. And he wanted to go share the good news with his family. 
I've been healed. I can walk. I mean, this is a beautiful testimony. And so Jesus provides the healing. It says he rose and he went home. Well, can I talk a little bit to these guys? Can we have a cup of coffee? No, go go home. And so off he goes. And can you see the scribes and Pharisees? Rats and double rats. He did it again. Do you read anything about they fell on their faces and repented? Do you read anything about, you know, oh, you, you must be God or you must be the son of man. Look what you just did in front of my eyes. Nothing. Seems like they just went and commiserated a little bit more and tried to figure out, at least for most of them, how they would rid themselves of him. But when the multitudes ate saw this, they were filled with awe. Wouldn't you be if you were there? And glorified God who had given such authority to men. I think that last part tells us they don't really know who Jesus is yet. But the glory is good. Luke's gospel tells us they were filled with astonishment and fear. They said to one another, we've seen remarkable things today. Mark 2.12 says, We've never seen anything like this. But there's an irony here that you need to hear about. Later, in a couple of chapters, Jesus will condemn the city of Capernaum for their unbelief. He will say, and you, Capernaum, if the miracles done in you would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes a long time ago. But you... Nope. You know, just because you see a miracle doesn't mean that you're going to become a believer. Lazarus was called out of the tomb and the religious elite were still trying to figure out how to get rid of Jesus and Lazarus. John 11. So just, you know, I know a lot of people say, if I just saw one miracle, I'd be a believer for the rest of my life. Would you? Or would you be looking for the next miracle? And I think that's what happens in a lot of modern so-called faith. It's always the next thing. Brothers and sisters, look, I love to see God do supernatural things, and he does do them. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And trusting God is going to include when you don't understand and when you don't see everything you want to see, and you still walk by faith. In Hebrews 11 We just began the chapter on Wednesday nights and we've been introduced to Abel and we're going to study Enoch and we're going to study Noah and we'll study Abraham and Moses. And all of these people in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, had incredibly difficult circumstances. Noah told to build an ark when it probably never rained before. Enoch lived in a generation that was in such a moral decline that God said, I'm going to flood the world and he connected it to the birth of of a man named Methuselah. If you want to know more, come Wednesday night at seven o'clock. But on and on through the chapter, it says by faith, by faith, by faith. And in each case, it's a case study in walking in a world anti-God and still standing. This is what faith does. And yeah, we need encouragement. And yes, it's a, it can be tough. But Capernaum did not as a whole, really repent even after Jesus did all these signs. Now from there, we'll 
read a little bit about Matthew and tackle the final verses. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man. See the word saw? It's a same idea of seeing their faith. It's to see behind the veil, if you will, to see the soul. He saw a man called Matthew. Uh, He's called Levi in Mark chapter 2. He was sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. As Jesus moves away from the miracle of the paralytic, there's another man with a paralysis. Oh, he can walk physically, but he has sold his soul to mammon. Matthew would be one of the greatest uh, hated people in the area of Capernaum. The evidence is that he had a tax booth. And they say, when you do a little research on this, that they had tax franchises and there were many tax collectors in the area. The higher-ups kind of did things from a distance. If you were the lower echelon, you sat in the tax booth. And you collected taxes from your own people in league with the emperor of Rome. And you were hated by your own people. Another outcast that Jesus is going to reach out to. Another deplorable, if you will, that he's going to reach out to. And so he looked at Matthew's soul and he saw a spiritual paralysis. Probably Matthew had watched groups of people go back and forth, up and down crowds. What did he do now? He just healed that guy. Whoa, what did he do now? He just, uh, there's, there's stories from the other side of the lake and he was right on the seashore. And guess who he collected taxes from? Fishermen! And Peter and Andrew and James and John had to say, oh no, Lord, not Matthew. You want us to work side by side with a tax collector? You have to be kidding. See, it's always terrible when we look at someone else's sin. Remember what he was doing? Oh, you're going to work side by side with him. He's going to be one of the apostles. Can you imagine Matthew writing this? And Jesus passed on from there and saw a man named Matthew. That's me. Can you imagine the emotion of writing this gospel? He chose me. He saw my spiritual paralysis. He knew who I was. He heard my soul saying, I wonder if he could save someone like me. I've sinned so much. I have so much filth in my life. So many stacks of money and things I've done to step on people, my own people. I sold my soul. Could I get it back again? Could he forgive someone like me? Oh, more than that, he can use someone like you. You know, your past can often become a platform to ministry. You've been listening to The Royal Physician, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew, Chapter 9, Verses 1-13. through 13. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. 
Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Recently, at our fellowship, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I serve as senior pastor, we had Tim Barnett come out, and he talked about the deconstruction of Christianity. What is that? That is that there's a phenomenon going on. It's happening among the young. We've seen it in some singers who are Christian singers, worship leaders, but not just limited to them. And that is that they be, begin to deconstruct their faith. What does that mean? They, they're, they're going back and questioning everything that they learn from the Bible, every ethic, every doctrine. But usually in a, in a deconstruction way, that means I'm just going to basically undo everything that I believe. And typically, and this is what Tim pointed out, typically that leads you to just believing whatever works for you which is creating your own God and just takes you right back to a subjective, I'm spiritual, but I'm going to define it for myself. That's not healthy, safe, or right. And Tim will point out why. Check it out on our app. It's called A Step Closer. Tim Barnett getting into the deconstruction of Christianity, explaining what it is and why it's happening and how to deal with it if you have a friend or family member that is deconstructing their faith. Check it out. It's called A Step Closer. It's on the Walk in Truth app. Hey, get the app today and you can get the extra content. And I pray it will be a blessing for you. Walk in Truth app. God bless. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 1 through 13, called The Royal Physician. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.